What do you see when you look into the face of your neighbor? Do you see a stranger? A friend? A foreigner? Or a refugee? Do you see someone to avoid? Someone to hide from? Do you see someone to hate or someone to love? Can you see yourself in their face? Do you see the face of Jesus? There are sometimes passages of scripture when I hear them read out loud. Uh, it makes me chuckle. Um, and that, <laughs> well, Heather, when you read uh, just that, that passage, the part of the passage where Martha goes to Jesus and said, Jesus, it's not fair that she's sitting on her butt and I'm working in the kitchen. Make her work with me, right? That's uh, kind of the tone. When we were uh, this last Wednesday meeting with uh, the Life Shared group, we actually were looking at this passage. And one of the comments was, this is just a typical sister relationship. And I can attest to that, having two girls at home from time to time. Um, we see this playing out. And that's what I love about Scripture. Um, the Bible doesn't sort of gloss things over. It's just real life. And we see that playing out, pardon me, in the story today. Well, this fall, we have been watching Jesus eat. And uh, as soon as I say that out loud, it sounds kind of weird and maybe something we don't want to do. But really what we're doing is we're following Jesus around to different dinner tables. And we're observing what he reveals about himself, but also what he teaches us about what it means to love our neighbor. And so we've gone to a variety of different dinner tables. We've even had a picnic together. And today we are at the house of Martha. And Mary is also there. And this might be familiar to you. There's Martha, there's Mary, and there's one other character not in this passage. What's the other character? Lazarus. And this is a very unique family unit that we find in Scripture. We find much more about uh, Lazarus in John chapter 11 and 12. We find out that Mary and Martha, sisters, have this brother Lazarus, um, and they live in Bethany. And Lazarus, what happens to him? He dies. And he is raised back to life by Jesus. But what we discover in comparing this passage with the passage in John chapters 11 and 12 is that Jesus had a very special relationship with this family. I mean, it's easy to, for us to say, God loves everyone, right? That's important. And it's easy to say, Jesus obviously loved everyone. But it becomes apparent as you read through the New Testament that Jesus, during his time on earth and time in ministry, had some very unique relationships. And this is one of them with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Jesus loved this family unit. Very special family unit. When Lazarus was sick, the two sisters send word to Jesus. And what do they say? Jesus, the one that you love is sick. Didn't even have to mention his name. It shows the care that Jesus had for Lazarus. 
when Lazarus does die and Jesus finally shows up, because if you know the story, he delays a little bit. And by the time he gets there, he's well dead. He's buried, right? And uh, when he finally shows up, uh, Mary goes out to meet Jesus. And when Jesus sees Mary's tears, he also weeps. That's such an, uh, an amazing emotional response. And validates our tears, I think. When Mary is in grief, she cries, and that's appropriate. And not only is it appropriate, but it causes an emotional response in Jesus. And Jesus cries. Jesus weeps. And so he loves. And the, and the people around say, see how much he loved him right? And then Martha, and we see this in the text, not so much in the version that we read, but maybe in the version that you have, NIV or some others, that Martha, when Jesus corrects her gently, he repeats her name twice, Martha, Martha. And it's not like Martha, Martha. It's not like that, right? Um, that you were tempted to read it that way, because we might do that. Oh, Martha, Martha, there you go again. Uh, no, it's Martha, Martha. And whenever you see a name repeated like this, Simon, Simon, Mary, Mary, Abraham, Abraham, it happens over and over again throughout Scripture. That's God's way of getting that person's attention, but also showing his affection, his love. And this is what Jesus does with Mar Martha, Martha. And so this is a very unique relationship, and I want us to hold on to that because the correction that Jesus offers to Martha is a correction that's done in love. And it's out of an attitude and a relationship of love. And any correction that Jesus, that God gives to us in our life, is not to harm us. It's not the discipline of punishment. It's not the, you know, spare the rod and spoil the child kind of punishment. Any discipline that comes our way, we have to receive out of this relationship of love, this correction, this redirection that comes from God. That's what we're seeing partly in the story. But I want to focus today not so much on Lazarus. I want to focus, as our passage does, on the two sisters, on Martha and on Mary, because they are remarkable women in the story of Jesus and in the New Testament. And I think sometimes we gloss over that to get to kind of the end point. Three things I would like us to know about Mary. First of all, she was likely the younger sister. And we sort of deduce this, we're not told this um, explicitly, but anytime that Martha is on the scene, she comes first. She takes initiative. It's her house, right? And uh, when you're reading in Greek and you read sentence structure, the, the names or the words at the front of the sentence are usually uh, more important or take precedence or have priority. And so Martha is the priority figure here, which seems to suggest that Mary was the younger sister. And so if you're a younger sister today, you can cheer because Mary, right, Kira? Mary is the example in this story. The other thing I want us to know about Mary is that it seems like she was a little bit more emotionally expressive. We find that a little bit in this story as she sits at the feet of Jesus, but we find it in John chapters um, uh, 10, 11, 12. We find that Mary is a little bit more emotionally expressive. When a brother dies, she goes to her room, like Jesus does, to spend time alone, right? She seeks time alone. And uh, after she comes to Jesus, she's free with her emotions. And I think that's important for us to understand too, that this is not a weakness, this is part of Mary's strength. 
of her character. But here's what I really want us to know about Mary. The third thing is, the three times that she's mentioned, she is at the feet of Jesus. I don't know if we noticed that. Here in the story, uh, while Martha's busy preparing stuff, uh, Mary is at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to get their names confused, so just bear with me. Uh, but Mary is at the feet of Jesus. When her brother dies and Jesus comes out, uh, Martha goes out first. And Martha goes out to confront Jesus. And you can hear the tone even in the passage in John's gospel. Martha says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. He, she just states the fact. When Mary finally goes out, she falls at his feet and she says the same words, but it sounds so different. If you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You can just tell that there's a different connection here. Mary is again at the feet of Jesus. And then after Lazarus is raised from the dead, they throw a party in Jesus' honor. And where do we find Mary again? at the feet of Jesus, this time breaking open a bottle of very expensive nard. Anybody have some nard in their house? Uh, apparently this is a very expensive perfume. And some of the disciples say, hey, that could have been sold to feed the poor. It's worth a year's wages, which might suggest that this household had some affluence, had some ability, maybe supported Jesus financially, perhaps. But here we find Jesus, or Mary at the feet of Jesus. This is so important. Mary is a picture to us of true worship at the feet of Jesus. But in the passage that was read for us, that phrase that Mary was at the feet of Jesus is an important indication of her status as a disciple. Because that phrase, at the feet of Jesus, wasn't just meant to be taken literally as someone sitting. Mary wasn't sitting there like some lost puppy, looking up at Jesus like, oh, Jesus, you're so great. It wasn't like that. That phrase, at the feet of someone, indicates that they were a student of a rabbi. Paul uses this when he talks about he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, he, a, 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 a well-known rabbi and teacher. That's what Paul said. He was a disciple. Well, Mary here, and this is revolutionary if we really understand it. Mary is accepted fully as a learner, as a disciple of Jesus. She sat at the feet of Jesus, and she was accepted that way. And this is remarkable. Jesus does this over and over again, and sometimes uh, to the astonishment of his male disciples, he engages in theological conversation with women. He does so with the woman at the well. They have this deep theological conversation, even though she's a Samaritan, and they have this conversation about the right place to worship. And when the disciples show up, it says right in the, right in the passage, they were amazed that he was talking to a woman, but they didn't say anything. They were a little bit afraid to point that out. And here we have Jesus again, not only accepting Mary at his feet as a full-fledged disciple, but also praising her for it. And I think that's just a remarkable thing about Mary. Okay, well, what about Martha? I mean, poor Martha. She just gets the, kind of the, the, the difficult end of this whole story, doesn't she? Sometimes when you find people that are just, you know, frantic and running around and busy doing stuff, we say, oh, you're such a Martha, right? As if it's a bad thing. 
And so I want to spend some time with Martha because she deserves it. Uh, she's the older sister, it seems, but she also deserves some love from us. Here's three things at least that I'd like us to know about Martha. First of all, Martha, it seems, was a strong, independent woman. I don't know if you catch this, but in the households of the time of Jesus, uh, there usually needed to be a man in that household who would be the head of the household. That's not the case here. Lazarus is probably even younger than Mary. And Martha seems to be the head of this household. When Jesus shows up into town, it's Martha that goes out and receives Jesus in to the household, right? And so there's a sense that Martha, for whatever reason, maybe she was a widow, maybe she never married, maybe she had dedicated herself for all her life to service in Bethany, uh, which was sometimes associated with caring for lepers. Um, maybe she did this. Maybe this was her life's work. She was very well respected by people because when Lazarus dies, there's people come from Jerusalem to attend the funeral, so she's well-known, she's respected, she's independent, perhaps she's even affluent. This is Martha. And she joins a long line of women. As you read through the New Testament in the next 40 days, uh, notice this, because we often don't list the women disciples, the female disciples of Jesus. Martha is there, along with people like Lydia and Priscilla, and Phoebe, and Junia, who was called an apostle, and Yodia, and Syntyche, and a whole list of very strong female disciples. Martha is one of them. And so, good for Martha, right? We're liking her a little bit more here. She was also a picture of hospitality. And uh, whatever Jesus says here is not to detract or take away from the fact that she is a picture of hospitality. She is like Abraham of old. Remember the story of Abraham? He's sitting, having a nice afternoon in the sun, and he sees three strangers, and he goes over and he receives them in, and then he goes about making a big feast for them, and he is the picture of hospitality. Martha is the Abraham of the New Testament. She goes out, receives Jesus in, and prepares this amazing feast. She is the picture of hospitality. But here's one last thing I'd like us to know. Lots of things we could talk about Martha. Here's one more thing. She also had an incredibly strong faith. In John chapter 11, uh, this is what we read after Lazarus passes away and Jesus finally shows up on the scene. Martha says, and I've mentioned this already, Martha goes to Jesus and confronts him. He says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But listen to what she says. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. That's faith. That's, that's amazing faith. Martha was a woman of faith. Later in that passage, after they have a conversation, again, another theological conversation that Jesus has uh, with this woman. And she says this, I know that Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She had her theology right. She was a person of faith. And then, this is remarkable, right at the end, when Jesus talks to her, she says this, Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into this world. Wow, that's a mic drop moment. Most of the other disciples didn't get it. Peter barely got it. Jesus said, you got it, Peter, but you had an assist, like the Spirit had to really drive that into your brain. But here Martha is speaking truth that many of the other disciples just didn't even bother to utter. She is a woman of faith. 
Martha's also, I could, oh, two more things about Martha. I won't take up too much time. I could go on and on, but here's two more things. I also find her incredibly practical. Uh, when Jesus shows up and, and he's about to go to the tomb, Martha comes out and says, hey, I, just so you know, he's been dead for four days and he probably stinks, right? And that's just, that's the Martha moment. I just want to be honest, practical. This is what you're going to encounter, right? But she's also kind, and if you read the passage, maybe go home and do it today uh, in John chapter 11 and 12. When, when uh, Martha goes out, confronts Jesus, Mary's in her house alone because she's in mourning with others that are mourning. And uh, Martha goes back and in a moment of kindness to her younger sister, she says this, the master is asking for you. And it doesn't say that Jesus said, you know, I'm sending you to go fetch your sister. I just think, I think there's just a moment of kindness there. The master is asking for you. And Mary jumps up and she's like, really? He is? And she runs out and everybody runs out with her. And so I just want to say that Martha is amazing. And as we read through the story, uh, the correction that Jesus gives to her should not detract from this amazing woman of faith and this example to us in the passage. So what's the issue? What's the problem here in the passage that it comes down to a bit of tension between the sisters and Jesus ending up saying, Mary has chosen the better part and the better path? Well, I think this is meant to be a cautionary tale for us, a kind of gentle redirection, a timely reminder of this, that sometimes the good is the enemy of the best. Sometimes the good is the enemy of the best. It says in the passage that Martha was distracted with much serving. She was distracted. And that word distracted in Greek literally means to be pulled away from. She's pulled away from something to go to something else. And the something else isn't a sinful thing. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a very, very good thing. I mean, you think of hospitality. You think of food. Jesus loved food. He recognized that food's important. Hospitality is king in those times. And even as high as that, she was pulled away by her much serving and was missing out on what was best. And that's what we want to focus on. Well, three traps quickly that Martha fell into, and I think are also traps that we can fall into when we get too consumed with the good and we forget to pursue the best. The first trap is this, the priorities trap. This is not a story about personality. And sometimes it comes down to that. We say at the end of the story, okay, who are you? Are you more like Martha or more like Mary? And we've got the Marys and the Marthas and we take a vote to see who's who. But this is not about personality. This is actually about priorities. In the 1960s, um, an author by the name of Charles Hummel, some of you might know this character, he published a little booklet called Tyranny of the Urgent. And some of you might know that phrase or might even know that booklet. It became a, a business classic very quickly. And in, in it, Hummel argues that there's a regular tension between things that are urgent and things that are important, and far too often, the urgent wins. Does your life ever feel like that? There's just so many things we've got to do, and we have to do them. 
And a lot of these things are good things. You know, taking care of our children and, and doing the chores around the house and paying the bills and whatever else. And our life can be consumed with the demands of the urgent, the tyranny of the urgent. And I think this story is a gentle reminder that there are things that are urgent and things that we need to pay attention to, but sometimes they can distract us from the things that are very important. The importance. And Martha gives priority to the urgent, that is preparing the meal. And she, Mary, chooses what is important in that moment. So that's one trap I think we can fall into. Martha fell into, fell into the priorities trap. The second trap, though, is this. It's the comparison trap. And we've mentioned this uh, briefly before. But um, Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? She fell into this comparison trap. Look at her. Look at me. Tell her to help. Right? And we can so often fall into that comparison trap. Peter did the same thing. Peter does the same thing as Jesus is restoring Peter, this beautiful scene as he's walking along the beach. He's made breakfast for everybody. He invites Peter to go along, and there's this whole scene of restoration. And right at the end, what does Peter do? What about that guy? Right, and he points to John. And Jesus is like, oh, seriously. He goes, you know what? If I want that guy to stay alive until I come back again, what does it matter to you? You follow me. And it's kind of the same thing here. Uh, Martha falls into this comparison trap. The comparison trap is the habit of measuring our life against others, and it's one of the most toxic behaviors that we can get involved in. The temptation to compare is as near as our next chat with a friend or trip to the store or check-in with social media. Social media is terrible for comparisons. Uh, in next week, I'm going to post some really nice pictures of me relaxing on holidays just to make people jealous. You see, that's the way it works. That's the way social media works. And this temptation to compare ourselves constantly. And whether we come out on top in the comparison or whether we come up lacking, we don't win. The comparison game is a game that you never win. And Martha falls into the trap. Look at her. Look at me. Who's right? And Jesus doesn't fall for the trap. He says, Martha, Martha. Mary, at this point, has chosen the best. And so there's that trap as well. Priorities trap, comparison trap. But here's what I think is the crux of the matter, the real crisis of the story, and that's this the anxiety trap. Martha falls into the anxiety trap. Jesus says that Martha was worried and upset. So it's not so much about that she was serving or acting hospitable, but it was about her attitude and approach to serving. Her attitude and approach to serving came from a place of deep anxiety, of deep worry, Worry about getting it done on time. Worrying about getting it done right. Worrying about having a good, uh, you know, uh, attitude, or not attitude, but um, reputation in the community. Whatever she was worried about, whatever anxiety was driving her service, Jesus calls it out, right? You're worried and anxious about so many things. And I think that's the key, and that's why Jesus calls her to what's important. Jesus talks a lot about this about how our anxiety often drives us. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So do not worry saying, what will we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, it's very easy for me to stand here today and say, don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your food. When I know I have food in the fridge at home and I have a closet full of clothes that are too small for me, right? <laughs> but it's there. And so it's easy for us in a place of security to say, oh, of course, I get what Jesus is saying. I don't know if I would resonate with these verses if I was in circumstances that many of our neighbors and people around the world face, where just the basic necessities of clothing and food is a deep concern. So what is Jesus saying here? Is he just being cruel? I think what Jesus is saying is really found in verse 32 of Matthew chapter 6. And he says this, for the pagans run after these things. I think that's the key. It's the pursuit, the anxious accumulation of, and the anxious focus on material things that can cause us to miss eternal realities. That's, I think, what Jesus is saying here. This, this desire to accumulate worldly wealth, this desire to pursue the things, being so anxious that we collect more, just one more purchase from Amazon and I will be satisfied, I tell my wife, as another box rolls up to the door, right? I've gotten to know the delivery driver's name. Anyway, that's, that's another story. And so um, this is what we have, this, this anxious pursuit of material things. And, and in, in Martha's case, it's this anxious pursuit of serving for whatever purpose that Jesus is calling out. Yes, God knows we need food and we need to share our food. He knows we need clothing and we need to share our clothing, right? But there's this idea that all these things will one day pass away, leaving us with what? What's beyond the grave? What do we have to look forward to? What will we benefit if we gain the whole world and yet lose our own soul? And I think that's what Jesus is driving at here. Mary has chosen the better part, this eternal part. Not that the other parts are less good, but this is the eternal part that we need to focus on. So Martha and Mary, remarkable female leaders and supporters of Jesus, disciples, and the lessons that we have here, many of them, and they come from the home of Martha. And here's one thing I just want to leave with us as we close. While we are called to love our neighbor as ourself, we are first called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've been talking a lot about loving our neighbor as ourselves because I think that's an important reality that we need to lean into as followers of Jesus. But we should never forget the first priority and the first commandment, which says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that has to come first. And I think that's what Mary is modeling for us here. So sometimes the good is the enemy of the best. Sometimes the urgent distracts us from what is important. And sometimes in our drive to love our neighbor, we forget that we are first called to know and love God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the example of people who have gone before us. We think of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and that unique family. 
And we pray that we would learn from these stories so that we might know you more. As the Apostle Paul said, to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. May that be our first priority as we go through this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.